We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Uh, Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Archaeo Animals. Today we are heading back to the world of The Witcher to talk about the bioarchaeology of The Witcher video games. We mostly talk about ancient animals, but sometimes we would decide to talk about the the skeletal structure of made-up creatures, because why not? Yep. And as always, I'm Alex Fitzpatrick, and with me... Simona Falanga, and hopefully no Romans this time. I'm sure you'll find a way. Life finds a way. Romans find a way. I actually didn't even think, I feel like I should have like thought about the Roman connection just in case prior to starting this episode, because I'm sure you, you'll figure it out. That's uh, all right, let it be a surprise. <laughs> all right, well, so as I said at the beginning, we are returning to the world of The Witcher. Uh, for anyone who's new to the podcast, if you go back, I don't know how many episodes it's been at this point. At least three. Sure, at least three. I don't know what day it is either. So yeah, you could go back. We did a whole episode on the zoo archaeology of various video game franchises. And one of them was The Witcher. And at the time, I had played like, I don't know, five hours of The Witcher 3. I wasn't very familiar with it. It was mostly Simona explaining things to me, which to be fair is most of the podcast, I believe. Anyway, but at this point, I have finished The Witcher 3, including all the DLC. I've liked it very much. <laughs> is that bastard? Uh, that is bastard. I think she wanted to express her disdain for the franchise because, of course, it kept her humans removed from her Aww. presence. We'll be staring at her screen instead of her magnificent presence. I mean, it's a really good game. So, first of all, yes, Witcher Three, great game. Go, go play it. I'm a bit late to the train, but really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thing. What she's saying now is that she can take Gondrodim any day. She can take him. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so the kind of point of this episode is to discuss the bioarchaeology of the Witcher. So, to begin with, is the Witcher actually just a fantasy bioarchaeologist slash forensic archaeologist? And the answer, of course, is yes. Boom roasted. That's all The Witcher is. You see that even more markedly in the video games, of course, with yeah. Witcher 3 specifically. There seems to be, I was quite surprised when I first played it because I was like, ooh, like he's making deductions about things. I actually know what he's on about. Yeah, no, I remember when I first started playing it, my partner was like, oh, yeah, you have like a Batman detective vision. And I was like, that seems weird, because at the time, like, all I knew about The Witcher was that it was a fantasy video game series that was based on a bunch of books and stories and stuff like that. So I was like, really surprised it had this like component to it. And it is really interesting. And it's even more interesting. And if you're my partner, it's even more annoying if you're a archaeologist playing it, because that's all you think about. Like, I would not shut up about, oh, look at he's doing. He's doing a, a zoological and osteological analysis. And he knows so much about taphonomy that he could figure out stuff. And my partner is like, please stop talking and finish the game so I can play PS4. Just like playing it and going, oh, God, I wish that were me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that's true. Like stuff like that. Oh, it's exactly this pathology and this kind of taphonomic mark. I can identify the tooth marks and, and narrow it down to one exact species. Oh, man, what's your secret? Oh, m- mutagens, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess it is mutagens, and I would love to have mutagens. Um, I guess for people, if you're listening to this podcast for some reason and you've never actually heard of The Witcher or played it or read it or anything, how would you even explain mutagens? I guess there are particular substances that were administered to witches to be, which would cause reactions. So I guess to some extent, it's akin to poison. In a way, because like not everyone made it alive. I think very few actually made it to a fully fledged witcher. Yeah. So they would just cram them full of this very poisonous concussions that would cause a reaction and cause their body to mutate. So if you did, if you're one of the few lucky ones that made it through, like in your strength and your senses were heightened at supposedly the expense of your feelings and emotions, which is still debatable. True. Yeah. Honestly, like, I feel like that it's also a trope, what we were just talking about with the like, oh, he can deduct everything from like the smallest thing. It's a trope that I enjoy, to be honest, in fiction. And man, I really wish I could be like that. Like, I think also what like non-archaeologists think, like, I think my parents think that's what I'm like. Occasionally I get emails, not emails. Uh, I, I do get emails from strangers about bones that they've need identifying but like even my mom will send me like a really blurry terrible picture uh, of like a bone she found at night no lighting just be like can you tell me what this is and how it died and i'm like mm, do you have like three hours yeah no it happens like oh i found this like in the topsoil of my garden fossil, fossil. <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's a the devil's toenail yeah it's something like that but just a uh, griffe because I think Devil's Toenail is a very British way of calling that particular species. I think so, yeah. I don't know. I don't know much, clearly. But yeah, going back to The Witcher. So like this episode, we figured it might be fun to kind of not specifically just talk about the zoo archaeology of The Witcher series, but also the kind of more generally bioarchaeological approaches. Because clearly Geralt, who is the main character of The Witcher books and the main character of the video games, he not only has this amazing zoological expertise where he's basically a walking bestiary and can identify hundreds of like creatures that are not just are regular animals, but also these like more mythical monsters. But he can do so much more like he has osteological training. As we said before, he has taphonomic training, which we also did an episode on taphonomy, if you're not familiar with that. Yeah, because also I think all of that is part of their more formal training, aside from the obvious sort of administration of mutagens. Like you do see like not so much on the osteological side of things, which I presume that is something that they'll probably be covering. But you see that in The Witcher 3, Urkos forgot to mention at the start of the episode, spoilers everywhere. So, you know, if you've not played The Witcher and wish to and don't like spoilers, then probably stop listening now. Wait, wait, I should stop listening? Oh, yeah, God. you might want to leave and get your new puppy to produce this episode. It's like you ever listen. <laughs> I do true. listen. I <laughs> listen all the time. You've never <laughs> listened. Every time we start recording a podcast, you just walk away. Uh, no, I'm here. And then you'll ask me a question about something I've already mentioned. <laughs> Touche. Bruno, come here. <laughs> no, he's all the way downstairs. It's currently playtime, so we need to focus on that. Speaking of playtime, let's go back to the spoiler-ridden world of The Witcher 3. I mean, it's not life-changing information or anything, but you do have a sequence in The Witcher 3 sort of, sort of that somewhat predates the events of the game where they're back at Kaer Morhen and Ciri's receiving training by Bessemir. I believe it's actually a beast, Sherry, that she's going through. Yeah, I believe so, from what I remember, because that's early on in the beginning of the game. <laughs> to be fair, like, I did finish the game, but it's also been a very long time. I think it's right at the start. It's like the tutorial, I think. Mm, okay. I was just thinking about how interesting that is also to just add, because, like... I mean, this goes on to, like, the actual books and stories that the game series is based on. It's really interesting to think of, like, you could easily just make, write a story of a monster hunter and, like, not have any of this stuff in it. But the, the fact that they've added all this kind of really interesting, like, of course, they need to know the zoological aspects of each of these creatures. Of course, they need to know the osteological, the anatomy of all these creatures. They have to understand their behaviors and the way they attack and stuff like that. I mean, there's probably other stories in fantasy that cover those kind of things, but it's, it is really interesting when you're a dork 
work. I think there's a, there's a few now because I think, of course, like the way The Witcher has been done is absolutely its credit to, you know, the developers and everyone else yeah. that's been involved on the project. But I think more on a wider scope, if that's the right term. No, it's not the right term. We'll go with that. <laughs> I'm only foreign, please. But I think the way video games are being developed so these days, you do seem to have world building that's sort of like hiked up to the high heavens compared to like, so say even like just over 10 years ago, there's a lot more effort that's going into uh, world building, seeing a lot more. So in in case of video game creatures and monsters, for example, seeing a lot more monsters that make sense in a way, sort of from a osteological standpoint. Of course, you know, they're a mishmash of elements of different genres and, but they, they still make sense. There seems to have been some knowledge of anatomy and biology that has gone into building those creatures. I think that a lot more work has been put into it than it was before. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I think maybe being like a quote unquote specialist in something like this makes me even more appreciative of these kind of like small details. And it is cool to see things become more detailed as technology improves and we're kind of more used to like, uh, you know, if they ever make a, like a Witcher 4, that would be wild. I think there's rumors of the developer working on something that's sort of still in the within the Witcher universe, but not necessarily with Geralt as protagonist. Well, they're technically, okay, now this is going to get a little off topic, but technically isn't the new, the cyberpunk game technically is in, not in the same universe, but it's referenced in Witcher 3. Is it? Yeah, because so, okay, I don't know why anyone would be listening to this if they weren't slightly familiar with The Witcher, but there's a character in the games and the books who can kind of go between worlds and dimensions and things like that. And she mentions in Witcher 3, oh, there, I went to this world where there are these flying like vehicle things and stuff and people oh, yeah. like, metal in them. So yeah, it's a reference to Cyberpunk, which is the next game that that studio is coming out with. Again, really interesting, the kind of like the things that come with that kind of world being accessible to them. Oh God, this is really going to become a lore dump, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the archaeology stuff, I promise. But to be fair, if anyone's listening to this, they probably like both archaeology and video games. True. They better. Yeah, because like, uh, like, oh, I'm going to listen to a show about a video game that I'm not interested in. <laughs> or they've suddenly realized that they left their this podcast app on subscribe for this show and they're like, oh, I've never thought about listening to this before, but now I'm interested. That's right, listener. I know what you're thinking. You're wanting more of me in this show. I get it. Yeah, it's weird. He knows what you're thinking, but he doesn't actually listen to us when we talk, so... I, I'm listening. I'm listening to everything you're it's saying. Weird. Yeah, it's weird. He's never, literally never listened to us. Okay, so <sighs> what, what, what we're going to do next time is actually we're going to, like, discuss the entire episode off-air, and then when we actually record, it'll be Tristan just going through all the segments by himself and repeating <laughs> what we've said. Uh-huh. This is great. You love it. Look at that as bonus content, like Tristan summarizing episodes. Like, aren't you animals pills? So, like, little snippets. It can be, like, the after show for our podcast. You know, like, how they did, like, all the after shows for those TV shows? Yeah, I'd love to do an after show, Alex, but I don't want to interrupt your dinner. (sighs) Simona didn't eat dinner either. I'm just putting her on blast so that I can stop getting comments. I can forgive so, uh, Simona because she's eaten l- dinner like since the beginning of when we started the show. So, you know. Yeah, like eating dinner is one of those things that I quite like doing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but anyway, yes, Geralt does have a lot of zoological knowledge, osteological, both human and animal, and taphonomic knowledge as well. Because I think you've mentioned it already, but get a lot of parts sort of in games where he actually IDs sort of taphonomic damage or like basically post-mortem changes to the osteology remains of both animals and humans. So you'd use, like, you'd either identify the animal and what's predated on it, or whether he's been just, you know, the person or animal died of natural causes, scavengers got to it, or if weathering any sort of external environmental taphonomic agents had anything to do with it. It speaks my language. 
It literally speaks our language. Yeah. We'll go into it later in the episode. Our case studies will be a bit more specific this time around. And they'll be about some specific quest lines. That's where I didn't want to call this the zoo archaeology of the Witcher episode, because that's not necessarily true. He wouldn't be what we would just call zoo archaeologist. I think he's way more of a bioarchaeologist or forensic archaeologist someone who is really well-versed in the kind of organic material that both zooarchaeologists and human osteologists work with and kind of combine them together to kind of figure out what are basically our crime scenes in the Witcher universe. It just makes us feel real bad about our current skills and knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, we'll take a break and we'll, we'll think about how we're not as talented as Geralt. <laughs> Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high-quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high-quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code animals when you visit arizona time is measured in moments not minutes like the moment you see the grand canyon for the first time visit a new state of mind learn more at hereyouareaz.com pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back with Archaeo Animals, and we are talking about The Witcher and the bioarchaeology in The Witcher video game series. So now we're going to talk a bit more about the kind of specific creatures that are in The Witcher series. If you want to hear us talk a little bit more about other creatures in The Witcher series, go back to the episode, get on video games in general, and we have a whole section on... I don't even remember what we talked about, do you? <laughs> I think the the lesson was definitely there because I think I've kind of yeah I remember the lesson completely intentionally just put all my favorite ones in there for the most part <laughs> well because you were the expert at the time I like I said I had only played like five hours of it which for me because I have this kind of illness where I need to do every single quest and get every single collectible in a video game or I'll die so like five hours in the witcher for me was probably like the first 10 minutes of play game that, and again gathering a whole load of herbs yes I love love gathering herbs best thing in the world the witcher is a herb gathering simulator and I love it that's another skill I guess top of all the osteology and uh, that we didn't mention is that he's quite good with his botany and herbalism oh, I wish that was me <laughs> But yeah, so we've just chosen three more Witcher sort of monsters and creatures. And we're going to try and figure out what their skeletons might have looked like. Because that's that's all we do in real life. We look at things and we... Don't you try to figure out what a person's skeleton looks like when you see a stranger? No, it's like, I don't know, like you're like in bed, you're like, you can't get to sleep. It's like, oh, like, what's wrong? What are you thinking about? Oh, I'm just thinking of what the skeleton of an echidna would look like. <laughs> I can't sleep until I figure it out. <laughs> I just gotta know. I mean, you know, that's that's something that's completely relatable to most people. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we're going to start with echidnas. Also, I'm so glad you're here because I, uh, as, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm terrible at pronouncing most things. But you did classics. Yeah, I know. And yet... Look at me. I did a lot of things, Simona, that I should know, and yet here I am. I, I also can't look at you because there's no video. That's true, which is good. Anyway, so we'll start with these. Basically, for those of you who have never played the game, they're these kind of like they're kind of like sirens, but they're they're more snake-like. They've got like a tail, and rather than just being like completely bird-like, they're located in Skellige in The Witcher Three, which is what we like to refer to as the Witcher Skyrim in our household. Yeah, or just like the Witcher Scandinavia. 
Yeah, I mean, it's Skyrim. It's Skyrim. It's just Skyrim. <laughs> As a household that owns like 10 copies of Skyrim collectively at this point, it's just Skyrim. And it's like the region where literally everything's out there to kill you. I'm glad you picked these for this episode because whom among us hasn't just tried to have a nice like bow ride across Skellige to do some quests, maybe pick up some of the underwater things that are on the map because God forbid you finish the game without getting every single question mark that's on your map. Yeah. And then these things come along and they ruin your day. Kidnas, which um, may ring a bell to some people because they are pretty much taken straight out of Greek mythology. So you'd have, uh, in Greek mythology, Echidnas is described as this woman, so they're half woman, half snake, and they were considered to be the mothers of most monsters. So the way they're depicted in The Witcher, so they have bat-like wings. Well, they're basically sort of half mammal, half reptile. So where sort of like the, the top half is a um, mammalian with mostly uh, of a, yeah, of a woman. And then this bat wings with the claws, I suppose, like, so like the, the phalanges, basically, instead of being sort of at the end of the humerus, you know, going to tarsals and the phalanges, the phalanges are actually at the elbow joint, which I thought was weird. Yeah, that is weird. I really don't think about, this is one of those creatures that actually don't really think about what their skeletal system looks like because I'm usually too busy shooting them with my crossbow. Oh, I wish I could do that. I'm all for the crossbow. Oh, but you can like get a thing where you just like aim. It it auto aims. Oh, I just remember trying it with a griffin right at the start and just like, nope, can't do this. But more on that later. (laughs) But Oh, hello, bastard. She's back. What was interesting, because the, the tail is mainly sort of reptilian in nature, but it's got two like attachments on either side, sort of on the tip of the tail, that are almost like scythe-like in shape. Yeah, it, which is which interesting. Is, it seems more fish-like. It's a half reptilian, half mammal with a little bit of fish, because why not? Can they dive in the water as well? They can. So that makes sense that they would need to have that kind of capability to smoothly dive in the water, be able to move through the water and then jump out and fly. Yeah, because I guess instead of formal sort of fin, sort of backtail fin per se, they they seem to have this sort of scythe-like, which I guess could be used for offensive purposes too. Mm, Yeah, true. Pending. And uh, if it is fish-like, one thing that makes me wonder is that would that particular sort of formation at the tip of the tail, would that be made of bone or more like cartilage? Hmm. Uh... Or could it be like keratin, if I pronounce it correctly, which is the sort of the material that an octopus sort of has got has got a little beak at the bottom. Yeah, that's the material that the little beak is made of. Huh? Yeah. I guess they would have to be really. I mean, I guess we're expanding a bit beyond just the bone structure of them, but like because they're so versatile, because they're able to fly and also dive in the water. I guess they'd have to have. A lot more special features, huh? Yeah, but I guess at a push, like, you can recover, like, cartilage. So in an archaeological setting, of course, like, you have to have certain conditions for it to sort of ossify, but you you, you can. True, yeah, no, that's true. You probably won't. I just got the uh, image, though, of uh, <laughs> what if they were looked more like, like seabirds because they're able to fly and also dive in the water. Yeah, sort of. I think the wings seemed uh, more mammalian than... Oh, yeah, for sure. But avian, yeah. What if they looked more like seagulls? Well, it'd be a, a lost carrier. <laughs> Seagull. <laughs> That's true. But also, because the two wings, which of course, like, as we know, like sort of wings in birds, they, they are a substitute for arms, that like, you do have your, your humerus, ulna, and radius. You do have that same structure going on. It's just supporting wings. But that wasn't enough for the echidna. So she actually has a two sets of like she's got two arms as well it's that's just selfish at that point which also end up in sort of in, in uh clawed phalanges as well because it's just it's one mission is just to kill you or just really wind you up at least yeah or to you know make you realize that you haven't saved in a, a, a very long time and then you die and then you're like oh i have to do like three quests again maybe i won't play anymore uh-oh. And also, very large lower canines. Not the upper, just the lower. What would be the reason for that? Well, sure, because if anything, you'd want your upper canines to be 
quite big because that could use necessarily to be like quickly dispatch your prey or just hold it still. Yeah, especially given that they would be diving for their prey. If they ate fish as well, could they serve as a little rack where you, the, the fish just, you know, doesn't get out of their mouth because it stops at the canines <laughs> and it just lets them hold fish better? Yeah, like, or will it let them, like, scoop better? These are the questions we have. I forget, I don't know how to pronounce the name of the original author of the Witcher uh, stories, but get him on the phone so I can ask him these questions, please. Thank you. I'm not sure they actually feature in the books, though, you know. Yeah, true. So someone get me to talk to someone at uh, CD Projekt Red so I can ask these questions. I think just by talking through this, I definitely have way more questions about its like adaptiveness to the environment and things like that. Although it might just be, as for many things in archaeology, just especially as far as ritual is concerned. I was waiting for that. That's just what they look like for no particular purpose. Maybe they've got maybe they've got bigger lower canines because they they thought they might look scarier that way. Anyway, chords. Oh yeah, so chords. I couldn't remember what these were. I had to look it up because they don't occur as much as other creatures in the game. They're basically fiends, but just smaller. Even though fiends, I think I think a lot of the fiends, if I remember correctly, they seem to have a more antler-like things going on. Yeah, they do. And this is more like ram horns. Well, they got, yeah, they got a, a ram's head. It's just, uh, as far as the teeth are concerned, it's like definitely nothing like a ram. <laughs> but usually, I guess, not unlike the fiends, they too tend to occasionally get close to human settlements and eat a bit of everything. So I'll have some of that crop. Why not? That livestock. Well, while I'm at it, let's have the family pets and the family itself. Whom Among Us isn't like that. That's Chort, which, like the Echidna, are also pretty much straight out of folklore, in this particular case, Slavic folklore, where they are known under many names, one of them being Chort, which I guess would be the the Russian term for it, I believe. Yeah, which is a good thing you knew how to pronounce, because, yeah, would not have been able to pronounce that. I can put that my entire year of learning Russian to good use. There you go. To be fair, what isn't like slightly based on folklore at this point, especially with The Witcher, there's just, there's so many creatures in in the game and there's just, just so many you can make up off the top of your head at this point. I think like a lot of the bestiary feeds heavily on on mythology, especially Slavic folklore. Yeah, which of course, I mean, the original stories were Polish. Yeah, like the author is Polish, so yeah, so it makes sense, and it's also nice because it it I don't you don't really tend to find, especially in video games, fantasy that is like based in more Slavic folklore. So it's kind of nice to no, it is because it's not you don't hear as much about Slavic folklore as you know Scandinavian. <laughs> just just to mention one, yes, oh, yeah. So in the in the Witcher's depiction, shorts of a ram's head. With very long and slim incisors. They're almost like pig-like, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Very long and slim. And every ram, very large canines. And uh, and also a third eye on the forehead. You know, just because. Just to see you better. Why not? Like, I've been trying to come up with a dental formula. Because of course, like, I, I can't really do that <laughs> mid-game. <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking at some canon art. And uh, so far, they seem to have... Of course, I'm talking sort of per side. So like, given that it's like, you know, there's two symmetrical sides, they'll have uh, sort of three upper and three lower incisors, sort of one upper and lower canine, three premolars and one molar is what I think is going on there. I mean, first of all, incredible that you've even been able to kind of figure that out. Also... I could not tell you why you would need to have three incisors. Yeah, because then three, they'll make six, like six maxillary and six. Yeah, so why? <laughs> to, to grasp them cabbages better, because they, they do also feed on the on the crop. They yeah. Give me all that they, cabbage. They chomp. That is true. They do chomp. Ch- chorts chomp. 
Ch- chomp be chomping. Hashtag <laughs> But yeah, so that, that's what I think is going on in terms of teeth. Uh, mostly, I couldn't really tell much in sort of like the morphology of premolars and molars, but I just sort of went sort of like three incisor, one canine, and sort of went P2, P3, P4, M1. I think that's about right from what I can see. I think there's probably more thought than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> more thought than like even the artists, I think, at this point, who are just like, that looks cool. So like, well, if that's what you think, then you're sure. <laughs> the skeletal structure seems very robust. They are quite bulky boys. The big boys, big chunky, big chunky short boys. <laughs> very like, well, presumably a very large rib cage because they're very sort of... The, tor- the torso is particularly wide, so presumably quite a large, not in terms of like the bones themselves being large, although they probably would be a little bit because it's quite a large creature, but just a very wide ribcage. Because it's almost like uh, the chords look like just every day for the past 2,000 years they've skipped leg day. Hashtag chonky chort chomp. <laughs> and the, the feet are also interesting because you have sort of like the front feet Almost reptilian looking, I found. It almost looked like uh, the old school depictions of dinosaurs. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Which is cool. <laughs> yeah, they got the three chunky toes on we the We love ground. to see it. Love yeah. to see it. Chunky, <laughs> short... Chun- oh, God. Chunky, short toes... I don't know. I was, I was going to add something else to that, but it's left me. But yeah, it's got, they got the three toes on the ground and they got a very a small clawed thumb on the side. It's much like, you know, most of quadruped mammals. But the back feet are hooves. Why? Uh... <laughs> so they can kick you with them? I guess. I mean, it doesn't really make much anatomical sense, does it? Yeah, and our last one is uh, be a, a short and sweet one because he doesn't actually feature in any of the games. <laughs> it's only mentioned is the manticore. Because the, the manticore is only mentioned in passing in The Witcher 2. Because in one of the flashbacks, Geralt allegedly fought one while pursuing the wild hunt. And all we know, I mean, we have some canon art. All we know, it's got the body of a lion, bat wings, a scorpion tail antelope-like antlers and it's like the chort it also has three phalanx on the ground and a diminutive thumb hashtag little thumb little thumb little little thumb (laughs) so that one i mean you know someone threw up a bunch of animals and made that Yeah, that was sort of like that sort of how does that compare to a, a griffin? Of course, the manticore is also the head of a lion, while the griffin's got a bird's head. But they do seem to have, you know, the, the body of a lion thing going on. Well, why don't we think about that and take a break and we will come back to that question in our next segment. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our T Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. And we are back with Archeo Animals. We are talking about the bioarchaeology of the Witcher series. Before we do our, our last segment, we should pick up from the segment before. Uh, we were talking about manicores, weren't we? And we were talking about how they compare to griffins. Yes, I think we got the, the, the body of a lion thing there. Yes. Where, of course, in a manticore, they also have a lion's head, while a griffin has a bird's head, like an eagle-like species. Mm-hmm. Of course, the manticora's antler. Well, I guess it would be antler for antelope. Yeah. While the griffin has uh, no bony spurs or growth of any sort. Yeah. Except for the talon spurs, perhaps. Oh, but no they, antlers. Yeah. They also have the, the legs of, a, of an eagle. Mm-hmm. I believe. Is it front and back? Yeah, I believe. That's how I always picture uh, a griffin. And I think that's also, isn't it how it is in uh, The Witcher? Because I, I remember them, the griffin sort of being quite, being a little bit different from how it's found in mythology and sort of other 
video games and such, but I'm just looking it up. Nope, no, they're definitely no. both talents. Yeah, I just got that too, which is uh, interesting because, like, uh, clearly the like the, the hind legs before you get to the talons are a bit more liony, like. They are. It just seems to be like they are pretty much like lion legs. It's just the the feet are talons, which is interesting. With then the oh, it's got the same thing as the echidna. So instead, of like the oh, actually no, 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 I lie. They don't. No, they do have <laughs> their their phalanges are at the end of their arm bones, mm, and then yeah, and then their wings of uh, their their feathered wings, sort of much eagle like. And a, a lion's mane, because why not? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's very flashy. It's cool. We love to see it. Yeah, because actually, now that I'm looking at it better, it doesn't have yeah, it doesn't have a full eagle's head. It does seem to be very much like a lion's head, just with a beak. Yeah, it's a bit unsettling. A bit upsetting, to be honest. But yeah, no. Uh, if anything, I would say that uh, the difference between a manacore and a griffin is that a manacore looks more ridiculous but cooler. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's a lot more sort of almost like regal looking. Yeah, the man, and also just, I, there's something about the manacore just having like it sounds like something I would have made up as a kid. Well, speaking of griffins, actually, that that is a <laughs> leads perfectly into one of our case studies. Yeah, so um, for this week's episode, we decided that instead of like you know, kind of our usual case studies, we would actually kind of do deep dives into specific quests from The Witcher 3, specifically because if we're talking about uh, the bioarchaeology of The Witcher, we also kind of want to talk about the process. Uh, So not just about how the anatomical composition of these animals are, but also just kind of like how if The Witcher is a bioarchaeologist, uh, how does Geralt actually go about kind of figuring these things out? So the first case study we want to do is uh, the Beast of White Orchard, which is actually the tutorial mission uh, for the game. So it's it's the one that I remember the most, uh, having uh, started the game, I think, twice at least. So I've done this quest twice. I'm sure you've done it more than me. I, I was going to say, uh, wow, but actually, no, I've had two playthroughs as well. It's a long game, to be fair. Like, I probably have between two, one and a half playthroughs, maybe a little less than half. It's like 200 hours, maybe. Well, I've had two, but I've not had two full playthroughs. As in, like, the first one, I think I just, like, went through it quite quickly because I not played the other games and I not read any of the books. I was like, but who are all these people? Should I really care? I I'm not particularly invested in these characters. I don't know them. So I just sort of went through all of the main quests and a few of the side quests here and there. And then once I'd actually sort of read the books and got more into the universe and also read and heard really good things about the DLCs, Hearts of Stone in particular, mm-hmm. I decided to went back on it to it and play it properly. So I did uh, get almost 100% completion. I must say, I did get bored of Skelliger eventually, just when uh, so I did I, tell you yeah. what. <laughs> but yeah, no, the Beast of White Orchard, I think, is one of the very, well, first quests that you get. Literally the first quest, I yeah. think. Because you literally you stumble into White Orchard and uh, everyone talks about uh, this uh, beast that's attacking things. And I think before, because uh, I think you you first have your encounter with a griffin, so you know it's a griffin, because yeah. you do fight, you do assist that uh, villager who's had his horse killed, like in his little cart attacked. But then sort of like the, uh, you use your witcher senses, which again are sort of like your superhuman senses that lets you examine like sites and remains and follow sense. And uh, and that leads you to the remains of a griffin's nest. Mm-hmm. Should await what's most important to us uh, for this case study, because he stumbles upon the nest, well, not quite stumbles, but he gets to the nest <laughs> and finds a dead griffin there. But that way, like he deduced that the griffin that was dead was a female. Yeah. Meaning that uh, the one that was probably out there was a, a quite a large male because of the griffin's date um, mate for life. So the way probably what the most likely scenario was is that there were there was, was this couple of griffins nesting, mostly minding their own business, probably picking a few bits of livestock here and there. As you do. Until Nilfgaard went and killed one, as you do. Rude. So they, they killed the maid, destroyed the nest, uh, meaning the male kind of went off on a mission to just obliterate everything and sort of move closer, closer to settlements and uh, was uh, quite upset in a way, understandably so. 
Which again, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the first thing I wanted to say is that I love the Witcher sense. So this is the kind of like what my partner was calling the Batman detective vision that you use. And it, you know, it pinpoints uh, the kind of evidence that you need to make up a kind of conclusion as to what happened. And man, I would love to have like an app that does that for archaeological sites. Can you imagine that? That'd be amazing. Yeah. Just, just like take, take out the take out the need for survey and you just put yeah. on your uh, archaeology sensors. Yeah, it'd be great. Uh, like you do yeah. an entire survey of like I don't know, like three hectares of land <laughs> and draw up a site plan. Be like, that's all that's here. But yeah, no, it's 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 so cool. And I guess if you're a really good archaeologist, you could probably say you have a Witcher sense. I d- clearly don't. Yeah, no, and it's it's such a good introduction to like the kind of like methodology that witchers use uh not only in the game but in the lore itself but it's also from a you know an archaeologist standpoint it's a great way to kind of explain to a non-archaeologist kind of what our job is especially when we're on site again this is a little bit more forensics i mean that's kind of you know in the witcher you're they're kind of stumbling upon sites as they have been but i mean it's just still the same kind of things and concepts that we use yeah i think the one that clicked for me in particular so to what extent they actually gone into detail of actually looking into the so the osteological and taphonomical side of things was a quest i think that still takes place around white white orchard i believe it's still one of the first ones i believe it's called the devil by the well oh yeah yeah, yeah. is that is the one with the, the noon wraith yeah it's like the first noon wraith uh, I think you get introduced to. It is. It was difficult the first time. Yeah, it's very hard. I, I ran away. <laughs> but that was, because uh, I think you, you stumbled upon sort of like this uh, abandoned section of the village and you find sort of like the, this um, pile of human remains and you pretty much like go through all the various sort of dialogue options that you can pick, basically draws an osteobiography. Uh, yeah, of the individual. Is... So it says like women, woman between this and this age. And like, I am so impressed that you just went, okay, like aging may be okay, but like that you just like sex this individual. So just by looking at you, you can, like three seconds, yeah, female. That's the way usually is a lot more of likely female. Yeah, a little bit more like that. But I also, I, I actually, now that you mentioned that quest, I remember being really impressed as someone who's uh, at least had training in uh, human osteology rarely uses it because it's too hard one of the things that we like were trained to do and something that i still occasionally do is like you know writing up skeletal reports if you have a body it it was so cool to see that in the game where he's basically doing something that i used to do like every week in the lab during my master's degree yeah because it was that you pretty much followed through like most of the steps are when he looked so like a age sex to follow me and then from there he could realize that the figure that was haunting mm-hmm. the village was a noon wraith because like then he coupled it with a well i guess material culture exactly found i think he found part of a so was it a, a, an engagement ring that he found or a bracelet a bracelet i believe just, uh, something that belonged to the individual so i guess um mixing sort of a forensic archaeology and material culture he managed to peep, like sort of piece the two and two together saying okay this is likely how this person died. We're dealing with a noon wraith. I mean, forensics in general is just really recent archaeology, if you think about it. Yes. Blew everyone's it's- mind with that one. Well, because I guess, like, don't know if I remember the stuff, like, the modules I've done from years ago, but I think it's, like, it's for, well, basically for any sort of organic form to turn into a skeleton. Of course, it's, it's very depends on the sort of like the soil condition and uh, yeah. various taphonomic agents, but it's usually 10 to 12 years. Yeah, something believe, like that. Something along so, those lines. So before that is forensics deal, and then after that, it's our deal. Oh, no, maybe not 10 to 12 years is still not our deal. No, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I, is. <laughs> Definitely not our deal. I, I mean, if you give it a couple thousand years, then it might be my deal. Yeah. 
But yeah, no, I, I, I really like that quest. It's such a good, like I said, it's such a good way to introduce the kind of mechanics, not only of the game, but of the kind of like, this is the methodology that your character uses. And it's, it is like from an archaeological perspective, it's really interesting to see how close it gets to, you know, things that we do, although, albeit not as cool, because I mean, I would love to find a dead griffin. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, that would be like a, a major breakthrough in zoo archaeology. Imagine scram. all the research grants coming in from left, right, and center. Got a griffin here, scrambling to get like bits of an eagle and bits of a lion together, so I can be like, "Oh gosh, as a as an expert, I know that this is from one individual and yeah. not from two different species. It's fine." But there's there's no context, so any wrecks oh, but absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. <laughs> oh, we are the worst. Uh, so we should probably move to the, the, the next uh, case study before we wrap up. So this one is called King of the Werewolves. Uh, so this one happens, I guess, like mid-game-ish? Not mid-game, kind of like the, after the first act of the game. You play as Siri, who is uh, a character that you, as Geralt, is looking for, who is also a witcher, so she has the same powers, except a little bit more powerful. Uh, but she has, you know, that similar kind of training. Uh, so I thought, she, I thought, I thought, sorry, she had, she is at the same training, but I don't think she's, uh, she's actually undergone any of the mutations. Oh yeah, no, she hasn't. You're right. It's just uh, that she's got magic some from all over the shop. Yeah, she got magic, but, but she's but she has done the training. She hasn't gotten the mutagens, but she she knows the, the same methodologies as we were saying. Uh, so she comes across mangled human remains while in the forest somewhere, and um, basically is able to like look at the pathology and diagnose it completely and be like, "This was a werewolf that killed this person." And it's another really good example of not just how the way like forensics kind of and archaeology are very similar but also kind of a really nice uh melding of what bioarchaeology is in general and how it can meld together human osteology and zooarchaeology in that you have to be able to understand the human pathology to see how the person died so you know because she understood the human pathology siri could say all right there's trauma to the chest uh, that's that was the killing blow, things like that. But also because she knew gnaw patterns, uh, she could say, okay, this body was scavenged by a carnivore. It was a werewolf and uh, wolves. So really interesting stuff for sure. How do you do it? You just like look at a two a gnawing mark or werewolf. I mean, like I could at least probably nail it down to a canid, unless werewolves have different teeth. I'm not sure. That'd be like another thing to add on a, on a Witcher bioarchaeology part two or three, depending on which way you look at it. You know, when this podcast just becomes a Witcher bioarchaeology podcast. But yeah, no, I, I, it's, I mean, obviously it's taking things to the extremes. I mean, that's all fantasy. But I, I guess it's a, it is a nice reflection of like what me and you have done in the past before. I mean, like, I've also looked at gnaw patterns to figure out what kind of animal was scavenging bones. Yeah, but I, I think not that, that, sorry, um, so nine times out of ten is usually just rodent, like, fan marks everywhere. Yeah, but occasionally you get the nice dog, or in my case, you get five million dogs and cats. It's fun. But that's cool, though. I mean, dogs and cats, especially in a prehistoric context. That is cool. It is as it is very cool stuff. I'm very tired of looking at it. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, and like the human pathology stuff is very cool. I mean, I'm not the most versed person in human pathology. I could, I can definitely tell you when trauma happens. Yeah. It's like, oh, that hurt. Yeah. Or like healing fractures are a real easy one, I feel like, for the most part. I believe so. I think, yeah, and they're also yeah, big ouchies because usually, especially the, the 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 further back in time you go, the more it's like, oh, that didn't heal right. Mm. Yeah, I remember. Um, I was. I'm trying to remember. One of the animals I was looking at um, had a, a healed uh, rib that had been fractured, and man, it was uh, extremely wonky and lumpy and sad to look at. Yeah, but which is. 
interesting in a way because um, because they've had time to heal from that fr- fracture. I mean, maybe not so much a rib, but say if it had been a limb, that would have had a certain, been, yeah. a certain degree of care because chances are usually, like, uh, I don't know, remains that have stumbled upon usually be a case that they would fracture a limb and then they'll just be dispatched because they're like, I cannot look after this animal with a lame leg. I mean, to an extent, I guess probably not to the same extent today, but that probably still happens. Yeah, of course. Where, like, if a, a, an animal really, like, one of some of your livestock really injures themselves, you cannot, because of like sort of logistics and a number of reasons, you may not be able to actually look after them and let them recover properly. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I also just realized another thing about the werewolf quest is, um, and I forgot to mention it, uh, one of the things that Siri notices is that the uh, limbs and organs are missing. And I just realized, oh yeah, it's just like how you can tell by skeletal representation sometimes, you know, was this body scavenged? Was it like specifically hunted and these parts were left and things like that? It's all about archaeology, folks. It is. And I think with that, we should wrap up the show. Had a good time. Did you? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It's fine. It's fine. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ArcheoAnimals. Uh, feel free to let us know if you have a video game series you like and you want us to talk about the archaeology, zoo archaeology, whatever. Tweet at us. Let us know. Do Dragon yes. Age. Do Dragon Age. Dragon Age. Dragon or Age. Alien. Or Alien. Because I just finished yeah. that. So I wouldn't mind. Alien. Yeah, let us know. It'll be great. And, um, you know. Subscribe, like our podcast, leave reviews, all that other fun stuff. I think that's it. Yeah, it's been, uh, as always, Simona Falanga and Alex Fitzpatrick, and that was Archie Animals. Bye. We shall go eat. Bye. Listening to Archeo Animals. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. You can find us on Twitter at Archeo Animals. Also, the views expressed on the podcast are those of ourselves, the hosts, and guests, and do not necessarily represent those of our institution, employers, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bro.